Whoa, how'd you get back here so fast? Guys, how you doing? Oh, you're not even sleepy yet? This is fantastic. Deal. Well, hey, my name's TJ, and uh, I'm so excited to be hanging out with, this, with you this week. I'm a pastor from down in San Diego. Any other SoCalians up here hanging out with me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's good to see you. Well, to people who are not from Southern California, whenever I say that, usually they're like, oh, bro, do you surf? Oh. And I have to tell them, listen, there's like a whole bunch of San Diego. I'm not from that part of San Diego. I'm from, like most people don't know this, there's like a rural podunk part of San Diego where us hillbilly people are from. And you're like, what? I didn't know there are any hillbillies in San Diego where they are, and I represent them, okay? Like you know you're a hillbilly uh, if with the way that you handle rattlesnakes. Like a normal person would see a rattlesnake and they would, call, they would make a phone call. Like, we need to call somebody. You get this snake out of here. This is dangerous, right? But then like a country person would be like, I just, I hate to do this, but I got to kill this rattlesnake so that it can't hurt any small children. Do you know what a hillbilly does with a rattlesnake? A hillbilly sees a rattlesnake and they go, shoo, hey, we got free dinner tonight, baby. Woo, we are eating good. And guys, I have to tell you, I have fed my children rattlesnake before. I have a picture of one that we had that was just sizzling up on the barbecue. I think it's, uh, oh no, it doesn't, did it, is it, is it gone? Is it bad? Oh, there, that's my family. Look at them. I got two little kids. Those kids have eaten rattlesnake before. Uh, and they're like, Dad, this is good. It tastes like sweet chicken, but it's squishy like calamari. They didn't say the calamari part, but I, I know that. Anyway, did we show them the snake? Well, you did? Okay, good. I'm just making sure. The barbecue snake, can we show them? Oh, oh guys, a little bit of soy sauce on that? Mmm, so good. Woo! Like, <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I am proud of where I'm from. Like, the kids in the youth group at our church, they like lasso, like they rope baby cows and stuff, you know what I mean? They raise pigs and then they sell them at auctions. We have a girl who brings her goat to youth group. Like, like we, this is some backwoods stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, anyway, uh, the, the other thing I'll tell you about myself before, before we get in is uh, I'm up here, my, my little boys are in wagon train this week. They're nervous. It's our first week, like sleeping in camp for real. But I'm up here uh, in camp with my incredible wife, Megan. We've been married for, in a month, it'll be 16 years, which means, I know, I tricked a lady into marrying me. That's fantastic. And guys, I met her at Hume Lake Christian Camps. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Do you, did you guys see what just happened? All the girls cheered. They're like, eee! They're like, they're like getting their lip gloss out of their fanny pack. Like, oh my. You mean, you mean, you found the one at Hume Lake Christian Camps? Which means I could find the one at Hume Lake Christian Camps? Some of these girls are thinking in their heads. They're like, oh, Brayden, he's the one. <laughs> are there any Braydens here? Oh. <laughs> no, listen, Brayden, I would like to protect you right now. Ladies, you need to knock it off, okay? I met my, we met when we were 19. We were grown-ups. We were working here, okay? You are too small and cute and innocent for all that drama, all right? No. No. All right. Now listen, boys. Boys, I want to teach you a surefire way to prevent any of that gross girl stuff from happening. Listen, 
you just, you just hiss like a cat and they'll stay away from you, okay? Oh. <laughs> Great work. Great work. Oh. <laughs> what have I done? Ooh. Well, hey, like you, I am very excited about camp this week. Guys, the stuff that we get to study in the book of Daniel is it's kind of bonkers, the stuff that happens in here. And before we get into the word, I just want to tell you, I feel like I need to remind you at the onset that this stuff is going to feel like make-believe. It's going to feel like we're just sitting down and we're having story time and, oh, this is fun and crazy, but that's not what we're doing. Like, I'm not your mom tucking you into bed, reading you like the very hungry caterpillar. Do you remember that story? Do we have the caterpillar picture? Aw. Hey! Hey! <laughs> like, that's not what we're doing. We're not sitting down and I'm like, oh, look. The make-believe caterpillar ate a blueberry. And then, and then the make-believe caterpillar, oh, he's a little bit bigger. He ate it. That's not what we're doing. Someone was like, he killed the caterpillar. <laughs> that was a centipede. Oh. Guys, if that's not what we're doing, then what are we doing? I need to tell you that, the, that each of the things that we're looking at in our time together they're real. These aren't make-believe stories. These are actual moments in history. Like, I just want to show up, throw up this picture that may be boring to you. We won't spend a ton of time on it, but I just want to put this in your brain, okay? This is, guys, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. Like, I wanted to dig holes in the ground. I wanted to find dinosaur bones. I wanted to discover lost species. I wanted to solve mysteries while that music is playing in the background. Dun, 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 you know? So I love archaeology, and all I want to tell you is that all of the things that we're reading in the course of this week, they happened 2,600 years ago, between about 605 B.C. and 536 B.C., and we can prove it as archaeologists dig in the dirt they find arrowheads from the wars written about in the Bible. They find ash from the homes that were burned to the ground written about in these battles that we're going to read tonight. That one in the middle, that is King Nebuchadnezzar's palace. We found it. It exists. All this stuff is real. And so as we're about to read God's word, I just want you to go in with a somber view that this is God orchestrating reality, moving in real people's lives. And, and you might hear that and go, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just say we're going to be studying history all week? Boo! Everybody go, boo! <laughs> all right, but some of you are nerds. If you're a nerd in here, give me a yay, yay! Wow! Oh, this is going to be a good week. Guys, I forgot to tell you earlier that, that in the podunk place that I come, that's how we greet each other. If you see someone and you want to say like, oh, what's up? You go, yay, yay. So a yee yee to you. Anyway, as we, as we read, this is what I'd like to do with you. If, if you can hang. I promise not to go long. But I want to treat you guys 
beyond the way that maybe you normally get treated. See, lots of people my age, they look at you and they go, you have the attention span of a mosquito, you're not capable of processing large concepts, and you're just going to eat too much sugar and then get the shakes and fall asleep. But I don't think that's true of you. So, I mean, most of you. I think you're capable. I think you can track with some of this nerd stuff we're going to do. And so I'm going to try it. Um, but I want to, my goal in this is to give you the depth and substance and majesty that we find in this Bible. And the goal is not actually history. Some of you who were like, wait, why is everybody cheering? You're like, phew. The reason we care about what we're about to read is only because it puts on display the almighty God of the universe. It's one of the best ways that we can learn what he's like, what he wants with us, what he thinks about us. Those are pivotal, crucial concepts to our understanding if God's real and we are meant to live in light of him. So we need to care about this, not even if it's entertaining or not, not because it's historically true, but because it's an opportunity for us to learn about the God of the universe who has thoughts about each and every one of us. And you guys, some of us are here tonight. This might be a weird way to start camp, but some of us are here tonight, and if you're honest with yourself, you don't even know if you believe in God. Some of us are here, and if you actually allowed yourself to think about these thoughts, you're drowning in sin. You're mastered by your own sin, and you can't get out. Some of us are here, and we have such heart, such difficult, such terrible things in our lives that shouldn't have happened to someone that maybe we're angry or resentful at God. Others of us are here, and we have doubts. Like, I don't know. I want to believe, but, but I'm not entirely sure. And guys, no matter which of those categories you fall into, maybe you have a great relationship with God. I just want you to hear me say that that almighty God that we're going to be spending time looking at his character, who he is, what's he want in relationship with us, I don't believe he's just interested in us. I believe that he specifically has something to say to you. When I say you, I don't mean you, Hume Lake. I don't mean you, your youth group. I mean you, right there with the eyeballs. You, the God of the universe, has something that he specifically wants for you. And so each night that we start, I'm just going to give you a dare or a challenge. Whether you are hurt, whether you are not interested in God, whether you are carrying around a bunch of guilt and shame, or you're doing great this week, I dare you each time we start to just silently by yourself take three seconds and pray this prayer. God, if that's true... If there's something that you want me to specifically hear tonight, I'm ready, I'm open, and I'm willing to listen. Why don't you take five seconds and just pray that right now? God, would you get your glory tonight, the rest of this week? We love you. We give you our time. In Christ's name, everybody said? Amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Now listen, this is a book that we don't turn to very often, and so here's what you need to know. It's kind of smack dab in the middle. It's a little bit past Psalms. And guys, there is no shame in the game. If you need to go to the beginning and look at that table of contents to get the exact page number... Great. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And when you get there, yeah, why don't you give me a yay, yay? Oh, my people. Woo! 
All right, well, I will know you're ready to read when a hush falls over the crowd. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's how you're supposed to say that word, for the record. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now you may read that and go, ah, I knew it, boring history, but let me just set the stage for what has just taken place. It kind of seems as if the Israelites, that's who this is, this tribe of Judah, this is two of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. There's a bunch of crazy history that's caused the nation to break into two, but you just need to know these guys are the Israelites. This is God's chosen people, right? And it seems like they're just minding their own business. Like in my weird brain, I picture them out on a sunny day, Sitting out on the grass, you know, maybe some of them are over here having a nice sophisticated picnic. Other guys are, maybe these ones are wrestling over here, goofing around. These guys are having a tickle fight. They're just giggling, <laughs> you know. Like if there's a soundtrack to where Israel finds themselves, it would have sounded like this. so peaceful, tranquil. These guys are like, everything's great. We're living our best lives. But then the tone would shift. Guys, if there's a soundtrack, it just changed to like terrifying war music. It's like, I can't play that on my flute. That's why I'm singing it. You know, and what's coming in the distance is just a cloud of dust. They can feel the ground thundering just as these armored horses kick up the dust behind them, pulling chariots with men carrying shields and spears and bows and arrows and all kinds of different weaponry. And as they get closer, racing towards this little town, people would have been shrieking in sudden fear. The moms, ah, grabbing their children, right? The dad's like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Kids laying on the ground in the middle of the street, like this is absolute chaos, hysteria. And guys, in this moment... That's what the word besieged means. Just completely overrun, dominated. There's nothing you can do for surrender. And the thing that makes this whole thing even worse is who it is that's doing the besieging. See, of the bad guy army, they're led by this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. And I can't give it all away. We're going to talk about how brutal this guy was on Wednesday. But just trust me for now, he was brutal. Like if people heard, hey, King old Nebby's coming, they would have been like, oh no, I need new pants. <laughs> like they his name would have just sent terror through people's entire bodies, right? And in 605, he became king of this nation called Babylon. And Babylon was like the superpower of the known world at that time, the most powerful nation in the world. And their capital city boasted as the Greek uh, historian Herodotitis, I don't know how to say his name, would talk of 56 miles 
of perimeter wall, 80 feet thick and over 100 feet high. These guys built massive, impenetrable forces, had intimidating armies, and they have now shown up on the doorstep of Israel for absolute besieging. But it gets even worse than that because look at what they've done. We read this in verse 2, and we'll come back to it, but it says that they carried off the articles of God from the temple of God to the God in Babylonia. The things that these people held most dear, they're, they're symbols of the power of God or memories of ways that God had moved in the past, taken, gone, now stripping Israel symbolically of its power. And if, as we read verse 3, we find out even more bad news. But there's a cool name in here. Listen to this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz. There it is. I'm not even going to make fun of that one. That's a, you, hey, when you guys are grown-ups, name your kids that, okay? The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Some of the ladies who were reaching for their lip gloss earlier are like, that's Brayden. No! No, ladies! Sorry, Brayden. I told you I would protect you, and I just betrayed you. That's my fault. <laughs> he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So here's what we just found out. The, the nation of Israel is completely besieged, overtaken, forced into surrender. And then their best and brightest young people are taken hostage, basically, and they're exiled from their hometown, their native country, and they're marched, shackled, 500 miles in a brutal march back to that impenetrable capital city of Babylon that we talked about. Why would they do this? Well, culturally, they understood our goal is to like brainwash these guys. If we can make their own people believe the way we believe, act the way we act, then maybe all of them will buy into our stuff and it'll be easier to conquer them. But the other reason that they would do something like this is because it was a way to rule from 500 miles away. If these Israelites start acting up, maybe they want to cause an uprising or a rebellion. Well, don't forget, we've got your sons and daughters. We've got your brothers and sisters over here. You guys cause too much of an uprising, and we will murder your loved ones. Absolute de decimation, complete control. This scenario is utterly hopeless. Their world is turned upside down. They are stricken with grief, heartbroken, their world sucks. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Their world sucks. And guys, um, this is my first profound point that I'd like to make tonight. So if you're taking notes, just prayerfully with the attitude of Jesus, write this down. <clears throat> point number one, everything sucks. <laughs> what? <laughs> I heard someone shriek that. We're Christians. We're not allowed to say that. Oh, no. Are you guys allowed to say that word? I'm so sorry. I'll find it. Everything stinks. You know what? When I was a little kid, I wasn't even allowed to say everything stinks. I had to say, everything smells. <laughs> I also wasn't allowed to watch Scooby-Doo. Let's continue. <laughs> hey, whoa. Are you guys mad at my mom? She's a lovely lady. She's just very strict, okay? You, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you her number. You can call her and take it up with her. <sighs> Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Oh, please let me explain. Here we go. When you think about their experience, what has just happened to their world? 
Paul will, will write describing the world this way later in the book of Philippians. He says, we live in a crooked and depraved generation. Guys, these, these Israelite exiles, the ones who are now stuck in Babylon, the world that they have just been tossed into is hostile to them. They're looking around at wickedness they've never seen, at atrocities they've never seen, at selfishness they've never seen, at greediness, all this crazy stuff that would have just absolutely appalled them. The world that is now everything around them, it's not their world, right? This culture that they've been thrown into, the things that, pe- that these people, the Babylonians, are going to try to get these young Israelites to think like, to act like, are these, is this their culture? No, this is the Babylonian culture. If you take it further, this, this king, this king is not their king. They serve a completely different king, the authority in their life, the one that they're supposed to try to emulate or be like or respect and revere or follow. Is King Nebuchadnezzar their king? No, they're exiles. Exile just means that you live in a foreign land that is not your native country and it is not your own. And guys, finally, Babylon had a bunch of crazy gods. Nebuchadnezzar, his name is like, uh, it has the first word Nebu and then Knezer, okay? Nebu was the name of one of their gods. Each of these people, like a lot of their names were names in devotion. We'll talk more about this tomorrow to all these different gods that they worship, gods of the sky, gods of gross stuff, gods of wealth, crazy gods. And the way that they worship these gods, a lot of it was terrible. Like, rated R, you'd have to sign a permission slip for me to tell you about it, okay? No, I'm not going to say it anyway. Braden, listen. Is this their world? I'll give you a clue. The answer to all these is the same. Is this their culture? Is this their king? Are these their gods? No, because they are exiles. They are complete foreigners in an unfamiliar world that is hostile to them, hostile to their culture, and hostile to their one true God. This would have been terrifying. And if you were one of these young Israelites found in this scenario, you know what you would think? Uh, The point I said earlier, everything sucks. And guys, here's my point. Before I move on to my second incredibly profound point. Do you know that the Bible describes us as exiles? Everything that we just described for these young Israelites, paradigm shift, is how you and I are supposed to view the world that we live in. Let me read you Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 20. Paul describes it this way. Sometimes Paul's wordy, but I really like what this guy says. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. Oh, there it is. Okay. If you're ready to listen, whisper. Oh, you guys are so good. It says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but ours, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are exiles in this world. And in the same way, this is not our world. Have you noticed it? The things that, that, that God created in Genesis 1, maybe you're familiar with this, the way that he set up the world, that's our world. He intended perfect harmony with him, face-to-face -face relationship with him. And yet, that's not what you and I find ourselves in. I don't know if you've ever looked around and gone, this world is messed up. But we experience difficulty. We, we get hurt by people all the time. Even think bigger than ourselves, right? There, there are orphans. There are people dying of starvation. This world is a terrible, bleak place. This is not our world. This is not what God designed for us. This culture, this culture that says, act this way, value this, talk this way, the culture of the world is a lot like Babylon. Do you know that, that Babylon is actually a symbol in the Bible used to describe crooked, depraved, civilizations in general, and we find ourselves in something very similar to Babylon today. And while they had a king in Nebuchadnezzar who was not the Israelites' king, guys, it's the same for you and me. Our culture raises up kings, people who are supposed to be the ones that we revere, the ones that we try to be like and emulate. For Sometimes these are sports athletes or celebrities or whatever. Be like them. Do what they do. Talk like they do. Buy what they buy. If we are exiles, those are not our kings. And guys, the gods of this world, what are they? What are the things that the world says, center your life around worshiping this? If you can achieve this or get closer to this, you will feel fulfilled and content because that's what worship is. Guys, the gods of our world are money, their power, their fame, they're being well-known, having a bajillion followers, their pleasure, experiencing happiness all the time. Those are the gods that this culture lifts up. And the Bible would remind us as exiles, those are not your gods. We are exiles in a foreign land. And guys, this week, they, they mentioned it multiple times tonight, but as we look at what it looks like to be a resilient man or woman or God living in a culture that is godless and hostile to God's followers, how do we do it? The first thing that you need to realize and be able to see, maybe in a new light, paradigm shift, we are exiles in a hostile world, just as they were back then. Permission to move on to the second point? Okay, now listen, I got to do some prefacing. I got to talk a little bit up here, and then I'll get there. <laughs> or I'll forget. Don't let me forget. But here we go. In order to get there, I need you to look back at uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. I told you we'd come back to this. It says, and the, I'm sorry, who? delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand? Wait, wait. So the Lord gave the king of the Israelites in a loss in the battle to Nebuchadnezzar? The Lord did that? Not only that, but look at this. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Wait, wait. So the Lord allowed, like in his sovereignty, he, he like orchestrated this where he basically allowed the sacred things in the temple that represented his power, that represented moments where he had moved, he allowed those things to be gone? Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean he allowed? Do you know what it, it would have looked like here and maybe looks like to us now? No, no, no. This would have been a slap in the face if the most powerful nation on earth came in, took these things out of the temple of God. Do you know that would have communicated to the whole nation? Oh, really? If your God's that powerful, how come he didn't stop us? Well, you know what it looks like? We had the battle victory. We went in and took the stuff out of your temple. It looks like our God's more powerful. Wait, wait, God allowed that? This doesn't look like God allowed that. It looks like our God, the one true living God of the Bible, just got his butt kicked is what it looks like. This would have been demoralizing. This would have been discouraging. 
And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like, where is God? Isn't God supposed to protect? Isn't God supposed to show up? Isn't God supposed to move? Is this proof that God is either too weak to do something or just plain doesn't exist? And, and I want to I want to push back on that idea because I know, like I said earlier, some of us are in here and we have some doubts. So think about it this way. What if I brought you, say, 50 people and I put them all on stage and I had them do math problem? <laughs> and it was the same math problem. And I was like, all right, sir, your problem, drum roll, please. Everybody give a drum roll. Your math equation is 2 plus 2. And he said, 22. And then I went up to the next person and I said, what is 11 plus zero? And he said, two. And then I went up to the next person. And they got all the math problems wrong, right? And what if I, what if I brought all these people in here and I used it and I said, guys, <laughs> this is unequivocal proof that math teachers do not exist. You'd be like, that's so dumb. That's not what? That's not how that works, right? The logic is parallel here. Or what about this? What if I brought in, <laughs> what if I brought 50 people up here on stage and I was like, okay, everybody smile your biggest. And between these 50 people, there were only three teeth. Everyone lost their teeth. And then I use this to prove, guys, unequivocally, this is proof. There's no such thing as dentists. You know what you would think to yourself? You would go, TJ, <laughs> pardon my French, you're a big dummy. That's not what that means. That's not how this works, right? That's not what that proves. I wrote this down specifically so that I wouldn't ruin it because I think this is a very specific point in here. God allowing these people to be handed over. People not experiencing God in his fullness. This isn't proof that God doesn't exist. It's proof that these people convinced themselves they didn't need God. This isn't proof that God doesn't exist. It just shows what happens when people decide they don't want anything to do with him. Just like if I had 50 people up here who decided they don't want anything to do with the dentist. That doesn't prove dentists don't exist. It proves these people haven't been seeing them. Just like if I brought 50 math students up here and none of them could do simple addition, you wouldn't go, that means math teachers doesn't, don't exist. You would go, that means these kids haven't spent enough time with a math teacher. Does that make sense? This isn't proof that God doesn't exist. It's proof that these people decided that they can live life without God. You know what the craziest thing is? These are God's people. Now look at the state of the union for this whole world. They're exiles in a broken, crooked, depraved world with a hostile culture, with a God that's not their God, with, kings, with a king that's not their king. All this stuff going against them. And the very people who should be following God, who claim his name, are just living in blatant disobedience. That means that little picture that I painted for you with the flute where they're just serene sitting on the grass, that's not quite what the Israelites were doing at this point. They were living in blatant disobedience to God. And we actually find out his reason for allowing this stuff to happen to them. And I just, just listen to this. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but this is Jeremiah 24, uh, actually 25, verse 3. Here's what it says. For 23 years... From the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land of the Lord gave you to you and your fathers forever and ever. Don't follow other gods. Uh-oh, this is what they were doing, the Israelites apparently. 
to serve and worship them. Don't provoke me to anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. God in his grace is warning them over and over and over again. You guys are being scumbags. You guys are sinning. You guys are tricked yourselves into thinking you don't need God at all. And I love you too much to let you keep living that way. So I will allow you to experience difficulty in my sovereignty if it will rescue you from the thing that has entrapped you and bring you back to me. I love you so much that I want you to be with me. We don't have time to turn there, but one of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Revelation 21. It's that famous passage where it's talking about God and he's given a picture of heaven and he says, I will wipe away every tear, right? Well, in that passage, we get a glimpse of God's heart and what he's most excited about on the other side of this life. And multiple times he says, I will be with you, and you will be with me, and I will be your God. With, 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 over and over again. This is a loving God going, I want to be with you, and I love you too much to allow you to settle for some terrible trash that the tide brings up, because it keeps you from me, and I am the best thing for you, and I will do whatever it takes to remove that thing in my love for you. That's what I choose to do with my sovereignty. I am God. He reveals his sovereignty, his power, and his heart in this movement. This is not proof that God doesn't exist. It's proof, actually, maybe, for some of us, that God might be a little bit different than we thought. Maybe God uses things or allows things other than just joy and happiness to grow us, to love us, to guide us, to direct us. The two biggest things as we close tonight that you just need to know, if you're going to live as a Christian with resiliency in a godless world, with a culture that's hostile to you and I, you cannot forget that we are exiles. We can't settle for this world. He built us for something else. Remember Philippians 3? We are citizens of heaven. We eagerly await our Savior from there. But also that God is sovereign. That he is complete in his power. He decides things that sometimes make sense, that sometimes immediately feel gracious, that sometimes don't make sense, that feel painful initially, but they are also gracious. God is sovereign, all-powerful as exiles in this world. We have to remember that. They are key and foundational to our resilience here. Why does all this matter? It matters because you need to know while we may experience difficulty in this world, and, and we'll develop this idea later throughout the week, God is not blind to it. God's intent is to love us through it, to equip us to not just survive this world, but to thrive in a godless culture hostile to Christians. And what we're going to see in the life of Daniel as we go from night to night is an example, a model of some things that we can put into practice so that like him, Maybe you and I can not just be resilient to withstand difficult things that come, but maybe we can thrive in a godless culture for his glory and for our blessing. Let me pray. God, we love you. We thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for every single student in here. And God, as we, as we just get together each week in chapel and for rec and all these different fun things, God, I pray that you would get glory and what you teach us, and what you encourage us with, and what you challenge us with. God, we, we surrender this entire week to you, and we just, we want to grow in our relationships with you. We want you to get glory and victory this week. We love you. We give you our time. In Christ's name, everybody said? Yeah. Yay, yay!